from the capital city of Charleston, West Virginia, this is Inside West Virginia Politics with Mark Curtis. Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. And by Williamson Health and Wellness Center, working to open doors to broader healthcare in Southern West Virginia and Eastern Kentucky. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Inside West Virginia Politics. I'm your host, Mark Curtis. The gentleman to my right needs no introduction, U.S. Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat, West Virginia. Mark, Good to have you on the program this week, you. Senator. Look, everyone continues to talk about, and there's no other word for it, massacre at the school in Uvalde, Texas. What is the U.S. Senate going to do, the U.S. House, to try and stem gun violence in this country? Mark, I know you're hearing a lot of rhetoric back and forth, but I can tell you it feels different. There's more people talking today that something needs to be done. Now, how much they're willing to do, I don't know, but I can tell you something must be done, and it will be done, I believe. Uh, we have a group working together. They came very quickly together, and uh, I'm working with Pat Toomey again. You know, we've had Manchin Toomey out there for quite some time. It tell was, us what Manchin Toomey does. Manchin Toomey did, did quite a few things, but the most important thing it did, it closed the loopholes that where people could go somewhere and buy a gun from somebody and not having any relationships whatsoever. We call it commercial transaction, and we've closed that down. We still basically protected the individual's right, like a father or a grandfather to a son, uh, family members, because I've always said this, the gun senses in a gun culture like West Virginia, we're taught at an early age, you don't sell your guns to a stranger. We don't even loan our guns to family members who aren't responsible. You gotta give us that much you know, uh, consideration for that. So. That, we kept that there, but transfers back and forth from interstate, out-of-state, intrastate, interstate, all those type of things that have to go through a licensed dealer. It's just not fair for a person in business that has to do a background check, but yes, someone can go to a gun show and have a table set up and do no background check, and they don't know those people. So those type of things there, mental illness, we did that. We looked at school safety, put more money into schools, making them safer. There was a lot of good things that we have, and we're going to continue to push those through. Let's talk about age restrictions, because uh, the gunman in this case was 18 years old. You are amongst those that favor at least looking at the possibility of raising the age to buy a gun from 18 to 21. Why? Well, you know, just common sense. We have that age barrier is there, you know, it's so many different things, alcohol and uh, responsibility. You can't get a license unless you show that you're capable of passing a test. There's a lot of things that coming up in youth. Sometimes people get a driver's license at 16. Sometimes they don't get them until later in life, but whenever they go through that process, whether it's going to be a test, competency, things of that sort, why shouldn't it reflect in everything we do? The person is competent enough that shows that they have the maturity to do that and go through that process. But age is one, I think at 21 would not be a problem whatsoever. I would hope it would not be, and I don't See, I don't know of any family members saying, oh, and I'm my 18-year-old. If, if you have that gun and you're an adult and they're with you, you're going to basically teach them the right way to do it. And if they still have a desire when they're 21, they'll have their own. You know, people are cynical out there. It is an election year, and they're wondering what can get done. For the first time in my election, and as you know, I was an aide on Capitol Hill in the U.S. Senate, sure. the U.S. House many years ago, 30 years ago to be exact. Um, but to get a, a bipartisan bill forged, especially in an election year, on an issue as volatile as it guns. Uh, but for the first time, Mitch McConnell, in my recollection, said to his Republican colleagues, "Here, here's a committee of you. Go meet with the Democrats, see where we have common ground. That's really unprecedented. Well, we know that the 
red flag laws work because it's in Florida and they've uh, thousands and thousands of times they've used red flag laws to basically stop someone from harming others or harming themselves. Uh, you know, the kids know, kids in school pretty know if someone's gone dark or someone's in a different social atmosphere that changed abruptly. Something needs to be done. And sometimes the families, the social media, the kids basically back and forth on social media would know before the family might know or recognize it. There are so many things that we know that can be more effective. But the bottom line is, if anybody is in Washington and you think that the job that you have and keeping that job is more important than protecting the child and the children that should be able to go to school safe and return home safe without any fear, uh, then maybe you're in the wrong profession. We're down to about 30 seconds, Senator. I want to point out, I mean, you're one of the most pro-gun rights Democrats in Congress. Well, I've always been pro-Second Amendment, but there's always been a common sense. I call it gun sense. Let me tell you things. I just came back from overseas, and I always ask people, young people, have you been to America? And they say no, and they light up, oh, I'd like to come, I'd like to come. I just came back within a month ago, and I asked a person overseas, I said, young person was waiting on us, and I says, have you been to America? No, I haven't, she said. Would you like to come? She said, no, I'm afraid of guns. That's the first thing out of her mouth. No, I'm afraid of guns. Now, something's wrong. We're sending out a message who we are as America, and it's not who America is all of. It's not what we're all about. Something has to be done. And if you're afraid that you're going to get defeated by doing the right thing, gun sense, common sense, then get the heck out of this business. All right. Obviously, a problem not going to be solved this week, but uh, they're talking about it, at least in Washington, and the fact that people are talking is a good sign. Something's going to happen, Mark. Something. We're going to make some positive changes. I believe with all my heart. We want to thank U.S. Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, for joining us this week on Inside West Virginia you, Politics. Appreciate You're welcome here anytime, Senator. Thank you. America. Now to a footnote on Senator Manchin's interview. On Tuesday, he appeared with members of the West Virginia AARP to support legislation that would allow Medicare to negotiate with drug makers for lower prescription drug prices for seniors, just as the VA already negotiates lower drug prices for veterans. Older West Virginians who are living on fixed incomes face challenges every day and have to make some tough decisions. Do I pay for my prescription drugs? Do I pay my utility bills? Do I pay my rising costs for groceries? As we grow older and you start living on fixed incomes and you have no control over inflation and what we're dealing with is it's affecting every person. It affects people on fixed incomes more than anybody else. The AARP presented thousands of petition signatures for Senator Manchin to take back to Washington in support of lowering drug prices for seniors. More of Inside West Virginia politics after this break. Inside West Virginia politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. West Virginia politics. We've heard from a Democrat on the issue of guns. How about a Republican? I want to introduce Republican State Delegate Chris Pritt, a Republican of Kanawha County. Good to have you on the program. Good Your first you, time. Mark. Let's talk about the issue of guns right now. Obviously, this is a big deal given what happened in Texas, Buffalo, New York, and then this week in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma with mass gun violence and killings. Um, Bishop Brennan, uh, Catholic Bishop of West Virginia has asked Governor Justice to call a special session of the legislature to ban assault weapons. Your thoughts on this and the reality of whether it might happen or not? Sure. Well, first of all, I want to say that uh, what has happened recently is tragic. And I think all Americans and West Virginians, our prayers are with those who have been affected by those 
those shootings that have happened. Now, with regards to um, the, the possibility that we may have any kind of special session, I really don't think that's going to happen. I think that um, there's not a, a, a big groundswell of support in the legislature to have any kind of gun control measures. I do think that uh, once we get into session in the, the next year, I think that we could certainly have some actions that we could take that could have an impact on uh, cutting down on the level of violence in our schools. And I assume your, your uh, inclination that there won't be a special session. You have the Republicans have super majorities in the House and in the Senate, and there's not a lot of stomach for gun legislation in the state at this time. Mm -hmm. And so the reality, I mean, the governor could call a special session, but that might result in anything, right? Exactly. He could certainly call that. He would have every, every right to do it. Uh, but in terms of gun control, I just don't see any, that happening for in any kind of special session. As we fast forward to January in the regular session, though, you are open to the idea of, of some things. Is it, you know, a lot of times you hear from Republicans, let's deal with the issue of mental illness and mental illness treatment. Let's talk about maybe red flag laws where guns can be taken away from people who are deemed, you know, mentally incompetent and who are posing a threat to others. I mean, what's your caucus open to in terms of trying to deal with the overall issue, not just guns? Well, I can't speak for the entire caucus. I can speak for myself and a number of others in terms of things we can do to cut down on violence in our, in our schools. One of those things that I would consider is dramatically increasing the security in our schools. There's been uh, some talk, for example, in the state of Ohio uh, about some proposals to allow, with a certain level of training, teachers uh, to be able to conceal carry within schools. I think that's one possible solution. Another possible solution, I think, is getting the involvement of our veterans. I think there are many, many veterans out there that would be willing to serve in their communities to provide some level of protection. I know you, you support helping Ukraine in its fight against um, Russia, but you, you talked to me the other day about the amount of aid we have now sent to Ukraine versus the amount of aid we could have sent to schools to uh, protect themselves in this country. That $40 billion that we recently sent to Ukraine, that is a lot of money that could have been used to shore up the security in our schools. I think that's one area where we have a, a complete misallocation in terms of our resources in our state and in our country. A lot of gun rights supporters, yourself included, have pointed to an incident we had here in Charleston in the capital city just last week. I believe it was the day after the, the massacre in Texas where um, a, a man uh, violently opened fired with an AAR, an AR-15 type weapon at Vista View Apartments, a public housing complex here during a birthday party of all things or a graduation party and a woman in the crowd pulled a pistol out of her pocket legally gunned him down and killed him and saved I don't know how countless lives he had an automatic weapon or semi-automatic weapon that's correct and and I think that just goes to show you that a lot of the restrictions that a lot of people are talking about doing would have an adverse effect in disarming uh, well-intentioned good uh, Americans and West Virginians. That's a, a great example of somebody who was armed, who was able to literally take out a killer. Numerous lives were saved because of the fact that here in West Virginia we have constitutional carry or as uh, it's otherwise called concealed carry. Well, it's a fascinating issue, and obviously, as we go forward from these tragedies, we're going to have more discussion here at the state capitol in West Virginia, as well as the capitol in Washington, D.C. We want to thank Republican Delegate Chris Britt, currently District 36, switching to District 53. You're going to need a scorecard to keep track of all this stuff before lunch. We'll have you back before Election Day in November. Okay, well, it was Chris? great talking with you, Mark. Yeah, excellent discussion. We'll have more of Inside West Virginia Politics after this break. Don't go away.
Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. And we welcome you back this weekend to Inside West Virginia Politics. Let's switch gears and talk about the opioid epidemic here in the mountain state of West Virginia. I want to introduce our Attorney General, Republican Patrick Morrissey, who last week, big settlement for the yeah. state. Uh, you, you, you started this case on uh, April 4th against Jansen, Teva, and Allergan. Jansen bailed early and settled for, what, $99 million? million, million dollars. Right? And now Teva and Allergan have settled jointly for $161 million. What's the significance of this? Well, this is really important for the Mountain State for a few reasons. First, we had a trial, and we were able to put a lot of evidence, not only in front of the judge, but the West Virginia citizens get to see everything that was out there, learn more about the epidemic, some of the root causes of what happened. I think that's invaluable uh, for future generations. Second, uh, while you can never put a price tag on the amount of death that occurred, the fact that we were able to push and push and push and ultimately break records, 161 plus million dollars is the largest single negotiated state settlement in our state's history. That's a big deal. And what's most important is the money's going to be expended the right way. Let's talk about that. They call it, the word is abatement. It is money yeah. going forward for law enforcement, education, treatment, and Correct. prevention. It cannot be used for past expenses, which run in the multi-millions of dollars in the state. You know, God knows what Huntington and Charleston have spent collectively fighting the epidemic. Can't be used for past expenses, but it can be used going forward. What do you see the benefit of that, and where do you see the lion's share of this money going, probably? Well, a couple things. First, with respect to the foundation, it's important that the money is going to be spent based upon needs assessments that occur throughout West Virginia. That's going to occur beginning fairly soon. That means that there's some communities that may not have a need for beds, but they may have a need for job retraining. Some communities may need a lot more in education, prevention. Some communities may need more help from a law enforcement perspective. It allows for targeting, which is good. But second, the counties and the cities do get a direct infusion of resources because right now they've been carrying a lot of the burden in terms of the resources. Monies can be used for regional jail fees. That's important. That's meaningful relief. I want to talk about a specific project. I want to be care very careful about yeah. how I couch this because it's personal to me. Sure. It's my own church and some other churches in St. Albans are working together. They're in, in the process of constructing a sober house, a sober living sure. house. It's a transitional house for people getting out of incarceration getting them drug treatment, getting them back employed. But this is a project that's in the works now going forward. Yeah. Would something like that be eligible for funds? Well, I think it could be. There's no reason why it wouldn't be. I mean, the reality is that there are a list of permissible uses, and then there's also flexibility uh, for the state and for the specific foundation board. But everything has to be consistent with a lot of the national settlement dollars that were brought in because there are some rules associated with it. So, for instance, you can't uh, use this to uh, do something completely unrelated to the opioid epidemic. Those are one of the conditions that are put in place. One of the things I thought uh, was fascinating, I believe it was Teva, is set aside $27 million in Narcan yeah. donations for this state. How important is that? Well, I think it's going to be beneficial. Look, uh, our settlement was much more focused on getting uh, the lead on the target, some of the cash that we could get out 
to make sure that we're building the infrastructure that we need. But the other piece with respect to the Narcan, we know that our state spends a certain amount of money each year. It's probably in the neighbor of six, seven million. So if you can actually offset that by a little bit, the state's going to save that money directly, which is a real plus for our taxpayers. Where can cities, counties, individuals, nonprofits go to apply for this money? Is it DHHR? Where is this trust fund set okay, up and how so do they apply? Here's what's going to happen. We're still waiting for a couple of the final uh, cities and counties to jump on board and sign it. We really need that to happen. We're in about 51 of 55 counties. We need all 55 counties to go on board. We need every city. So until they get on board, nothing can happen. We don't get any money. All right. We're going to keep an eye on this issue because this is very important. We're talking about, what, 260, 270 million dollars well, total. right. So to, we're at 296 and a yeah. half for the manufacturers yeah. and there's more to come. But it's also going to have the ability to take in private sector money and governmental resources. So there's a lot of good that's going to come from this. All right. Let's have you back in a couple of months and yeah. see you get a progress report on this and see where it's going. This is a, an exciting development after the horrific opioid epidemic. We want to thank Patrick Morrison, thank Republican Attorney Appreciate General it. for the state of West Virginia, and we'll check in on this. It's a big, big issue Absolutely. still. Thank you. We'll have more of Inside West Virginia Politics after this break. Don't go away. Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. Welcome back to Inside West Virginia Politics, a program where we are very passionate about supporting our veterans and our active duty military personnel from West Virginia. With that in mind, I want to introduce Lieutenant Colonel, retired, Brent Clark, United States Army. Great to have you on the program. Thank you, Mark. Good to be here. I get everything here. correct there? Yes, you did. All right. You're Graduate good. of West Point, and you are, what, the vice chairman of the Mason County Veterans Memorial Committee? That is correct. Okay. Yes. We're going to hold that up. They are, as we talked about last week in the program, they are trying to build a centralized, uh, one-stop veterans memorial in Mason County, and uh, this, is, this is exciting. You know, we have so many memorials around the state, and I realize you have scattered plaques here and there, the post office, a bridge, and other locations in Mason County. What is the purpose of this and what's the benefit of having one central park-like location where everybody can come and see all the different monuments and plaques? Well, first of all, we really appreciate the airtime and, and the amount of focus that you've allowed to give this. We really don't have a focal point in Mason County where all veterans could rally around or come to as a, if you would, a destination point. And the idea of this monument is to be able to honor those from the county uh, we do have them, like you say, throughout the state, but the, uh, the idea here is to be able to have a, a place where uh, those that have served from World War I through current uh, uh, conflicts, uh, to be able to give them the credit due to where they've answered the call and they've served and uh, because as you know, West Virginia per capita has uh, probably some of the highest percentage of service in, in the nation. And, uh, and Little Mason County uh, has even Medal of Honor winners, uh, of which we're honoring this in this monument, as well as those that are actively serving and those that have served. We're going to have a, a, a statues being commissioned for, uh, commissioned for Jimmy Stewart, a Mason County uh, military personnel who was killed in Vietnam during a heroic battle, saved lives. Fortunately, he lost his own. 
but he's a Medal of Honor winner and now we'll have a statue commissioned in this memorial park. That is that is correct. That's part of the first phase of this is to be able to to bring the attention to someone that gave it all and he is from a little little community by the name of West Columbia which is just down the road where I grew up of course uh, I didn't know Jimmy Stewart and others didn't until after this occurred but uh, here you have the, the chance of just somebody that uh, serving their country uh, and show that what it meant to him and and his citation is is quite uh, uh, quite a citation it's a four-hour continual battle that uh, that Jimmy Stewart involved in and and he by the way is honored in Fort Benning Georgia he was infantry I want to talk about your military service I mentioned you're a retired lieutenant colonel 28 years in the service you met your wife in the service you yes. have other family members who have served how important is it to you personally to have a memorial like this for you and your family well it's it's very important uh, it's very personal um, of course uh, uh, you know uh, like I said my, I met my wife in the military we met in Germany uh, back in the 70s, uh, we were stationed uh, during the Cold War era, and uh, and then I have two sons that are uh, on active duty right now. So it, it's important uh, from a family point of view, but also the bigger family of Mason County, because we've had so many that, that have family members that have gone and served. Yeah, as most of our viewers know, my daughter, First Lieutenant Allie Curtis, United States yes. Army, she's on active duty too, That's so great. you and I have something yeah. in common. I want to hold this up and mention your website, mcwvvm.org. That's mcwvvm.org if you want to donate. You guys have a Facebook, very active Facebook page Yes, too. we do. Very active, yes. It's the uh, Mason County, West Virginia Veterans Memorial page on Facebook. Correct. Easy Correct. to find. And Correct. you're looking for donors. We are. We are. We're looking for donors. Uh, we uh, we're looking, we know that there's many that want to participate in this and everything from a dollar all the way up through, we have levels in, you know, four or five digits and we know that's not possible for everybody, but we're having companies involved as well as individuals. So, And specifically, I want to mention Mark Porter Ford and the Mark Porter dealerships. There are four. Mark has pledged 2500 for each dealership for a total of $10,000. If there's other corporate sponsors that want to get involved, you know, come on down. Yes. I want to thank Lieutenant Colonel Brent Clark, retired United States thank Army, you, West Point much. grad. God bless yeah. you. It God is an honor you. to get to meet you, and we're going to continue thank covering this, and we're going to help thank this memorial so park much. happen in Mason County. Thank you County. very much. You're we welcome. Appreciate. We'll see you back here next week. Don't forget, we are a podcast. So download us from your favorite podcast vendor. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Inside West Virginia Politics. You can hear more from state, local, and federal lawmakers each and every Sunday morning on WOWK-TV in Charleston, WBOY-TV in Clarksburg, WDVM in the Eastern Panhandle, WTRF in Wheeling, and WVNS in Beckley. You can also find a new episode of the Inside West Virginia Politics podcast right here on this feed every Monday morning. If you like the show, make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Inside West Virginia Politics is a Star Media Group production hosted and managed by Mark Curtis. Inside West Virginia Politics is recorded and edited inside the studios of WOWK-TV in Charleston, West Virginia. All rights reserved.